0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 1. Colossians chapter 1. Our scripture reading is going to be from Colossians 1, starting at verse 3 till verse 14. Colossians 1, starting at verse 3. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Nine soccer games in two days is a lot of soccer. When I was in high school, my my soccer team had a weekend tournament. And the thing with this tournament was that if you didn't do so well at the start of the tournament, Um, you still had a chance, you had to go the long way around. So you still had a chance to make it to the semis and to, to go all the way to the finals. But it meant you had to play extra games to be able to get there. You had to play about three extra games and win all of them to be able to have a chance to make it on. You can take a guess, that's what happened to my team. We didn't do so well the first few games, but then we got hot and we started winning game after game. And on top of having to play so many games, that weekend it was cold and rainy. Our team ended up playing in the finals, the ninth game in two days, and needless to say I was pretty exhausted. But We ended up winning in a shootout, which was great, but I'll always remember after the tournament, getting into the car with my dad, totally exhausted, uh, drenched, cold. But the reason I remember that moment so well was how encouraging my dad was to me. My dad was always my biggest fan growing up for sports. He would always get me or my, me and my siblings a chocolate milk or a Gatorade. Um, he would always say how great we did, how hard we worked, to say a, a certain play of mine was my best play of the game. Knowing my dad was there for me and, and enjoyed it when I played my best motivated me to want to play well, to play the best I could. And even after nine games of being cold and exhausted, um, I wanted to, to do my best. When there is someone in our life that has done so much for us, that is there for us, loves us, it makes us want to, to do our best for them and want to please them, to make them proud. In our passage this morning that we just read, we see a call from, from Paul to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Knowing what Jesus has done for us, knowing what he has accomplished for us on the cross, that because he has saved us, we want to live in the way that he has called us to live. To live in a way that's pleasing to him. It can be easy to lose sight of why we want to live for Jesus, to chase after other things or to feel like maybe we're going through the motions of following Jesus, not because we we want to, but we might feel like we have to. But we see the call here to live in a manner worthy of Jesus because that's God's God's will for us, because we love Jesus and we want to live for him. Look at verses three to six again in our passage. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. Paul was very thankful for the Colossians. He thanked God for them often. And this is in the case of Paul using really strong language to try and shake up a church from their false ways. But here he was, he was very thankful to them for their faith in Christ. And we see in those verses a power, powerful truth and the reason why we want to, to live for Christ, to, to live in a manner pleasing of, of Christ. Because if we are in Jesus, it means the gospel has come to us. We see that in verses five and six. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. The gospel has come to you. For the, the Colossian church, the gospel had come to them. God had reached down and saved them through Jesus Christ, not because of their own doing, not because they had earned salvation, earned the good news, but it had come to them. God had saved them, and they responded in faith to Jesus, And that's the same for us. If we are in Christ, it means that the gospel has come to us. Not by our own doing, but by God's amazing grace. God has reached down, saved you, you have trusted in Jesus. Because of that, the Colossians, they had new life. This new life resulted in them living their lives in faith, um, loving fellow believers in Jesus. They had hope of a life with Jesus for all of eternity, and Paul was really thankful for that. He was thankful for the great reports that he was hearing about them. Thankful for everything that God was doing in their lives and in their hearts. And knowing this, knowing that the gospel had come to them and that they were already living out their faith strongly in the Lord, Paul urges them to continue. And he says this in verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Sometimes when it comes to God's will in our lives, we can get a little stressed. We can wonder what God's will for us is. We can stress over maybe where to go to school or what job to take or what car to buy or what person to marry, wondering if that's in alignment with God's will. I took my sons to a corn maze a couple of weeks ago, and it was fun to, to run around and get them to direct whether to go left or right and to try and make it to the other side. Sometimes we can think of our lives as a big maze, that if we don't find God's perfect will for us, then we're going to hit a dead end and get lost, Kevin DeYoung, in his book called Just Do Something, uh, lays out different aspects of God's will that we see in Scripture. First of all, there's God's will of decree. And this is talking about what, what God has decreed, what He has ordained, will come to pass. Everything He has decreed will come to pass. Things like what we see in Ephesians, where God has predestined us according to the counsel of His will. But we also see God's will of desire talking about what God has commanded of us, what he, has, what he desires from us, how he expects us to live or calls us to live. Like God's will of decree, what he has decreed can't be stopped, but his will of desire, what he expects of us, can be disregarded by us. But in our passage, Paul is calling us to grow in knowing what God's will of desire is for us. To not have to be burdened into thinking that we need to know every direction our lives are going to take at every turn. Not to think that God is going to write in the sky every time what, what job to take or what person to marry or where to move. But we can grow in knowing what God's desire is for us, how he wants us to live. To know that it is, it is his will that we are saved by Jesus. It's his will that we grow closer and closer to Jesus. His will that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. His will that we stand up for what is good. And even his will that we might suffer for the sake of Jesus. These are all clear things from Scripture that we know are God's will for our lives. Garland, in his commentary on the book of Colossians, says this about God's will. For Paul, understanding God's will involves recognizing how Christ is the fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes, how God's salvation is open to all people, and how God intends for Christians to live in whatever situation they find themselves. We don't have to stress trying to figure out what God's will for us is in our lives, but we can know and trust that God's will for you is to know Christ and, and the power, His power on the cross and to live our lives for Jesus in a way that is honoring of Him, pleasing to Him. And knowing that, growing in that, wants us to live that out. Look at verse 10 again. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Knowing that the gospel has come to us, knowing what God's will for us is, that we want to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. We like receiving good gifts. When I was a kid, I remember receiving a pair of rollerblades, and I loved those things. I would play road hockey until the sun went down, and I treasured those. I didn't ignore them or leave them in the garage, never use them. If we have been saved by Jesus, we have been given this awesome gift of salvation. He has transformed our lives. He is now our life. Jesus is now our life. We are now in Christ and he is in us. We don't want to waste that. Because we love Jesus, because of this gift of salvation granted to us, this gift of being in Christ and him, in it, in him and us given to us, we, we love him. We are in him. We want to live a life that is worthy of him. We want to live according to the way that God has laid out for us to live. So often we we find ourselves wanting to live for ourselves. Uh, Like I preached on a couple weeks ago, it can be one of the hardest things to hear from Jesus when he says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must deny what you want. Because so often we want to fight for what we want. We want to live for ourselves, indulge ourselves. Often when we ask God for direction in our lives, it can be motivated by what pleases us. Or we want God to come alongside our wishes or our desires. We want God to fit neatly alongside our motivations, alongside what's easiest for us. It can be tempting to just want to live for ourselves instead of living in a way that is fully pleasing to God. Because often living in a way that's worthy of Jesus is not easy. We might have to suffer, deny what we want. We also know that the temptation to want to not please God, but please people around us. And do that we start to walk like the people around us, look like the people around us, impress people fit in, talk like the world around us. And that looking like the world around us can be a stronger motivation than to please God, than to honor God in what we do. Things can become idols in our lives, things that we can start to love more than God. Think that if we, if we, can't, if we have to go without these things, we just don't know how we can go on. And because some of these things can have our hearts more than Christ, we can lose sight of how Jesus wants us to walk, to lose sight of what Jesus' will for us is in our lives. That the way we walk can be more reflective of the world around us than, than reflective of Christ. But Paul is calling us to not lose sight of the motivation for wanting to live in the right way. Our motivation for, to wanting to live the right way comes from Jesus and what He has done for us. A couple of years ago, there was a, a kicker for the, the national football team, the Jackson Jaguars, called Josh Lambeau. He was being interviewed about his coach. And he was talking about how much he respected and how much he loved his coach, how, how much him and his teammates admired their coach. How great the coach was to him and to his teammates. How worthy of respect he was because of his, his words, his actions, the way he treated him and his teammates. And the kicker went on to say that when he kicks field goals, he wants to hit them for his coach. He wants to please his coach because he respects and loves his coach so much. When we walk out from, from church this morning and, and head to Thanksgiving dinner or, um, and then go to work on, on Tuesday or start school, we are to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus because we love him, because we want to do the best we can for him. We want to please him because of how much he has done for us, because he has given us new life. In the words we say, the, the jokes that come out of our mouths, the way we Um, the way we treat others. We want to walk in a way that's pleasing to Jesus. In our interactions with our our children, interactions with our parents, with our coworkers, when we go out with friends, we are called to live in a way that is worthy of Jesus. In a way that Jesus would have us live, in a way that's in alignment with Jesus' will for us. We make a, a statement with our words, and with our actions. We're told all throughout Scripture that what we do is really important. What we do doesn't save us, we know that, but what we do, how we live our lives, is so important in God's eyes. And what we do, what we say, makes a statement. It makes a statement about who we follow, about how much the one we say we follow is worth it to it, is worth to us. If we are constantly living for ourselves, indulging ourselves, living in sin regularly, looking like the world around us, we are making a statement that Jesus isn't worth much to us. We are not to pursue living in comfort or convenience or self-indulgence, but to live in submission and obedience to Christ. To live in a way that is worthy of Jesus, worthy of the gospel, as Philippians puts it. To live in a way that's reflective of our new life in Christ. A life that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But Paul doesn't stop at just telling us to generally live in a way that is, um, in a manner that's worthy of Jesus. But he goes on to give us several ways that we can grow and walking in Jesus in a manner that's worthy of him, ways that we can grow in Christ, grow as we desire to please him. Look at verse 10 again, the full, full verse. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. As believers in, in Jesus Christ, Our big goal is to look like Christ. Our big goal is Christ-likeness. To to walk in a manner worthy of Christ and as we do that, look more and more like Jesus. So we have this this big goal of Christ-likeness. And it's an interesting kind of goal because it's one that we can never perfectly achieve on this earth. Usually we like to set goals that we can for sure meet, right? I am going to go on a run two times a week. Right, I, I can meet that. I don't want to, but I could. <laughs> but this is a, Christ-likeness is a, is a goal that we cannot fully reach while on this earth. But we are called to grow steadily and steadily, to look more and more like Jesus, to grow steadfastly in Christ-likeness. But we all know that this is not an easy thing to do. And there are many things that work against us growing in Christlikeness, growing and living for Jesus in a manner that's worthy of him. Things like sin in our lives. Sin wants to derail us from growing in Christ, wants us to focus on ourselves, on what makes us happy, wants us to lose the joy of the gospel and focus on earthly things. Busyness wants to derail us from growing in Christ, to be so distracted To be so put in so many directions, so distracted from walking with Jesus because of everything that is going on in our lives. Idols in our lives, things that we can start to love more than Jesus, thinking that if we didn't have these things in our lives, we wouldn't know if we want to go on living. Idols can distract us from growing in Jesus. The cost of following Jesus can prevent us from growing in him. Thinking that, No, it's just the cost is too much. It is too hard. I don't know if it's worth it. And we can go through seasons in our lives where we we can struggle to walk with Christ, struggle to grow in Him. We're struggling to bear fruit. But as believers in Jesus, we are called to pursue Christ in a way where we are steadily growing. There will be times where we drift, times where we struggle. But we have a goal of steadfastly growing, that we are further ahead than we were five years ago, closer to Christ. And our passage tells us that we are to grow in a manner worthy of Jesus. We are to bear fruit. There is to be evidence of fruit, evidence of growth in our lives. In the book of James, he tells us strongly that a genuine faith produces fruit, Out of a heart that loves Jesus, that longs to live for him in a worthy manner, longs to live in a life that's pleasing to God, out of that heart comes fruit. We're to be growing in things like the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience. We also get an indication in our our verse of how growing involves deepening our knowledge of God. If you're growing, you're bearing fruit, it's evident, but you're also growing in knowing God. You're you're going deeper in knowing him, going deeper in interacting with him, knowing his heart. Pace and and Aiken in their commentary on Colossians are referring to the disciplines like like prayer and and, and scripture reading and obedience to God and, and say this. These disciplines not only enable us to discern his will, they also equip us to fulfill it. Growing deeper in our walks with God, through personally studying God's word, through prayer, through obedience to him, not only helps us to know how to live for Christ in a manner worthy of him, but also gives us the the strength to live it out, enables us to live that out. But Paul also reminds us that growing in Jesus is knowing that we can't do it on our own. Look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Many of us here this morning have toddlers and um, sometimes our toddlers can be determined And our toddlers might say to us something like, I am going to make a chocolate mocha cheesecake all by myself. All on my own. I don't need help. I'm going to gather all the ingredients, put them in the the proper quantities, mix it all together, put it in the KitchenAid, time out everything. In a similar way, it can be hard for us to recognize that we can't do everything on our own. That we can't do everything by our own strength. We tend to think that we we don't need any help, don't need any favors. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to come up with a solution until I can fix the problem or until it can get better, until I can get stronger. But we see from Paul that growing in Jesus actually does not look like relying on ourselves, trying harder, gripping the steering wheel harder. But by relying on God, by knowing we can't do it on our own, by turning to him, For strength. And Paul finishes by telling us that growing and walking in a manner worthy of Jesus includes thankfulness. And he gives us some very rich descriptions of why we are to be thankful and why we should grow in thankfulness toward God. Look at these these beautiful verses in verses 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love the imagery that we get from, from those verses. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We get that image of us once being in bondage in a cell in a dungeon of of an evil castle held by the enemy with no chance of escape. But then Jesus in his radiant light storming the castle, blowing the doors open, the enemies running from the sight. Those chains have fallen off, the cell doors been blown open they don't hold you in any longer if you are in Christ the gospel has come to you you have been redeemed you have been rescued rescued from the weight of sin and shame your sins have been laid on King Jesus your sins forgiven you can have fellowship with God and on this Thanksgiving Sunday we have many reasons to be thankful And we can especially be thankful to God for sending Jesus to rescue us, redeem us, forgive our sins. We thank God for his grace that he has given us in forgiving our sins, for the grace that he gives us in enabling us to live for him, knowing we can't do it on our own. If you have been rescued by Jesus, Jesus has stormed, castle freed you from those chains, blown the dungeon doors open. You have tasted this freedom from sin controlling you. You have walked with Jesus. Don't go back to that castle and sit in the dungeon. Don't go back and put those shackles back on. You have a new king that has sacrificed everything to save you. Walk with this king Fight as hard as you can for this king. Walk with him in a manner that's worthy of this king. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your redemption we can have in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you have rescued us from darkness and transferred us to your kingdom, the kingdom of your son. Thank you for the new life that we have, for everything you have done for us. Help us to grow in walking with your son, to grow in living in a way that is fully pleasing to him. Help us when we can lose sight of your sacrifice, lose sight that you are, that your son Jesus is our king. We pray that you will strengthen us in this, knowing that we can't do it on our own. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.